Well, hello, everybody. It is good to see you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's always awesome. I love coming on Sunday and worshiping with everybody, just uh, being in the presence of God together and uh, being able to do that with all the saints in the room is great. Uh, we are in our series on Proverbs. Uh, really excited to jump in today, this week. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. would love to meet you after service. If it's your first time or you've been coming for a little while, we haven't met yet, please introduce yourself to me. would love to just get to know you and say hello. Uh, we have been going through Proverbs now for a few weeks, and uh, last week we kind of gave our first topic of the series, uh, and this week we are talking about the scoffer. Last week we talked about the fool. This week we were talking about the scoffer. Uh, but before we jump in, just kind of something I felt in my heart while we were worshiping uh, is it's going to be really easy to go through Proverbs and as we talk about each and every topic to kind of look at these things and look within ourselves and just think, you know, how do I accomplish this? How do I become a better person? Uh, and if we begin to do that, we're, we're actually missing the point of Proverbs. And I want to bring us back to the very beginning of Proverbs, when we talked about wisdom with a capital W, who wisdom is. And as we talk about wise living and what it means to walk in wisdom and every day, we can't forget about the capital W of who wisdom is and how we walk in this way in our life, and that is through Jesus. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, as I'm, we're kind of going through the list of maybe what the fool is or what the scoffer is, and you think, man, I really want to live better. I'm going to try harder. Well, then you're missing the point of Proverbs because Proverbs really doesn't tell people to try better or to try harder. Proverbs points people to the one who is wisdom and says, if you want to live a wise or good life, then first you must live in the one who is the embodiment of wisdom itself and have a relationship with him. And so as we're going through this, we may be tempted to think, uh, or you know, we're going to hear things that resonate with us, things that we do, and we're going to be tempted in those times to think, man, I want to try harder, and I want us to resist that temptation, or when we hear it in our own minds, I want us to catch it, and I want us to, instead of thinking about, I need to try harder, I want us to then put it on our list of things that we're going to encounter God over. How can we encounter God with this in our life? Because really, when we think about life change, we cannot change our life in our own strength. What it looks like when we try to change our life in our own strength, it's, it's essentially like someone who really doesn't want to clean. You ever see like a teenager clean? Uh, and when they are supposed to sweep, this is where that saying comes from, sweeping it under the rug. You just, you get, you get the broom and you think, do I really want to get the dustpan, try to get in the dustpan, do it like 50,000 times and get that line out of there, then throw it in the garbage, or I can just lift up this rug over here and just throw it right under. Which one is easier? It's a lot easier to throw it under the rug. And that visual of cleaning when just sweeping it under the rug is really the visual of when we're trying to change our own life. We're actually not getting rid of the dirt, we're just changing where the dirt location is. So it goes from being more visible to more hidden. And so when we're going through this, if we really want God to get rid of the dirt in our life, then we cannot look inwardly to do that. We have to encounter him so that he can sweep up 
these areas in our life. He doesn't rearrange the dirt in our life. He literally gets rid of it. And so when we're looking at the scoffer today, what the scoffer in Proverbs is the intelligent fool. So last week we looked at the fool and there's over 50 times that the fool is mentioned in Proverbs. I believe 14, 15 times the, the scoffer is mentioned in Proverbs. And really the scoffer is the fool who is leveled up in life. This is, this is not like level one is the fool, level two is the scoffer. When you get to this place, it's like you have been around the block and now you're wise about your foolishness. How many people have become wise about their foolishness? Scoffer literally means, yeah, nobody raise your hand for that one. <laughs> All right, that would have been an honest person in the room. Scoffer literally means mocker, means debunker, right? That, that word annoys me. You ever have that friend that just debunks everything that you say? Uh, I had a friend like that growing up. I don't think he's here now. He might be. We could laugh about it after. Uh, we would call him the cold water of reason uh, because whenever we were having a fun conversation, he would dump a bucket of cold water on him and be like, actually, you have that, you have that actually friend, right? The, the bunker, the mocker, or just someone who is unpleasant to be around. That is the actual definition of a, a scoffer, but Proverbs explores the roots of how this person becomes this way, and that's how, what we're going to be talking about uh, today. We're going to explore that. And the first mark of where the roots of where this person uh, becomes a scoffer, we see in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, it says, Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So the first mark or the first root of a scoffer is pride. So we're going to talk about pride for a little while because pride is a really important issue in Scripture. We talk about it lightly over and over again, but we, and we talked about it in the fool, but when we're looking at the scoff, we realize there is a deeper sense of pride. Pride looks inwardly for a sense of accomplishment. When I do something, I look inwardly and say, wow, Justin, you are really good. You are just, you're just good looking. Like you, you just know how to uh, accomplish, you, you ever have those morning wake up speeches before you go to work? It's just like, you can conquer the day today. You just have it within you. You are bold, you are courageous, you are a tiger, you know? Like, <laughs> no, nobody's gotten to that point yet, sorry. Right, pride, what it does is it elevates yourself and it elevates you above others. This is what pride does in our heart. And pride is not always flamboyant. It's not always at the front line. Many times it's that subtle voice of arrogance in someone speaking to you, saying that, man, that person is really dumb, right? In that inner voice when you're having a conversation, that they're just always wrong. I'm not gonna listen to them anyway. I don't care what they are saying. Sometimes pride is not the obvious arrogant person, but sometimes it's that subtle inner voice when you're having a conversation with somebody and you're just thinking about just how much better you are than that person, right? There's no amens because nobody wants to admit this is you, but it's okay. Pride looks like this. It's being led by somebody, and while being led by someone, it's, it's always saying, I can, do I can do it better than them. We're never walking in their shoes saying, I would be 
better at this than this person. Pride in leadership from the top down is thinking that a title makes you smarter or makes you more capable than the people around you. This happens all the time in life that somebody gets promoted or someone is given a title. We can't think that the church escapes this and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you better bow when I walk in. Did you wash these feet yet? Right, all, you know, the demeanor changes all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm better than you. I'm more intelligent than you. I'm smarter. I'm more capable. This is pride takes leadership. It takes title and it uses it as a way to demean and condescend towards other people where Jesus took title and took leadership as a way to serve and to elevate others instead in humility. Pride in marriage looks like this that you look at everything that your spouse is doing wrong and you blame them for it. That's what pride in marriage is. You say, you're seeing everything that is wrong with your marriage and when you're seeing everything that is wrong with your marriage, you see everything that is wrong with your spouse. Instead of searching inwardly in your own heart for how you have allowed yourself and your marriage to get to this place. Man, how often do we, in my own life, have I seen that? Sorry, Heather, I love you. (laughs) That I would look at our issues in our marriage, and I would just be like, man, if Heather would only change this. And then I realized, well, actually, Justin, you can actually be nice instead, and maybe that will fix the problem in your marriage. Maybe you can serve more, and maybe that will fix the issues in your problems. See, when pride will always look at issues in your life and it will always look outwardly and blame somebody else. This is why I don't have a good relationship. This is why I don't have a good boss. This is why I don't have a good marriage. This is why I don't have a good friendship. And it looks at other people and it says, they are the reason for my problems. That is pride. Pride is t- not taking no ownership over the issues that you are going on in your life. Pride is the sin of the Pharisees. I can make the law in my own image. That's what the Pharisees did. They wanted to master it, and then they wanted to force God's hand to allow them entry into heaven based on their merit. That was their pride. Jesus said that they were whitewashed tombs, that they looked really good on the outside, but inside they were decaying and had death in every corner of where they were. Pride searches your own heart and finds goodness at its core instead of the sin that has captured us from the beginning. See, pride comes from a misunderstanding of two essential facts. The first misunderstanding and the first fact is that God created all of us with equal value. We are all created in the image of God. And when I realize God has created all of us of equal value, I realize that I am just as complicit as my neighbor, just as complicit as my spouse, just as complicit as my friend, my parent, my child, my boss, whoever it is, I'm just as complicit in sin as them. See, pride realizes that we have all equally participated 
and what is going on or doesn't want to. The second essential fact that pride is a misunderstanding with is that because of our sin, none of us deserve what we have. See, pride will look inwardly and say, what I have is because of the work I have put my hands to. This self-assuredness, this self-confidence in all the things that I have done, this inward gratification of, look what I have done. See, pride forgets the essential fact that all good gifts come from above. That what we have is God told Israel in Deuteronomy and Jesus reminded us and the writers of the epistles constantly said, all that we have is from the grace of God, not because of our righteousness, but because of his mercy. And when things begin to go right in our life, pride will say to us, look at what you have done. You are so great. You are so cool. You are so amazing. Look at all the things that you can accomplish on your own. Look how smart you are. Pride will seep in and it will forget that what we have our very breath, our intelligence, all that we have is not because of our righteousness, but is because of the mercy and the grace of God. What happens is we have been trained as a society to look at ourselves and never see imperfection. It's almost bad to look at ourselves and see imperfection nowadays. In our Instagram culture and everybody gets an award culture and everybody is amazing culture, we cannot see imperfections. We wanna cover our imperfections as much as possible. We can never be wrong. We can never not be good enough, right? If you go over the self-help aisle in Barnes and Nobles, it's all about how you can look inwardly and find everything that you need. And some of the authors up there are Christian. That's the sad fact of today's culture is that we have trained our minds to view imperfection as something that needs to be covered, that needs to be swept away, that cannot be confronted that needs to be masked. And we've done this by telling ourselves that you have everything that you need. You have everything that you could ever want. You have all of it inside of you. Have you, just Tony Robbins, I just wanna like channel him right now. You got everything, baby. And, and this is what we have been trained to do. This is what culture has told us to do. But what's the, what this has done, the sad point about this, it has blinded our eyes to the avenue that God has been using for us to arrive at humility. We have put on blinders and we have said, I'm just gonna pretend like that's not there. I'm stressed, I can do this. I, I want to make more money, I could do this. I want to feel better about myself, I could do this. 
And what we've done is we've blinded ourselves to the greatest avenue that God uses for us to arrive at the destination called humility. That when we look at ourselves, we actually don't see more than enough. That when we look at ourselves, we actually do not see perfection or an avenue to get there, but we see that all roads lead to destruction. But what that does is it makes the human mind go searching. Where do I find this perfection? Where do I find more than enough? Where do I find the strength and the courage and the hope and the faith so that I can go on another day, so that I can look down the path of my life and realize that there is something great that I am getting to, that there is an eternal reward getting there. And when we start to look outward, well, that is where we find the perfect one. And when we stop looking inward and start looking outward, what happens when we arrive at the destination? We arrive there with humility because we realize that we are not arriving at something that I have crafted, created, molded, or done on my own, but I am arriving to a gift that is given to me that I do not deserve in my imperfections. The next mark of the scoffer is strife. Proverbs 22, verse 10 says, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. So this is a reminder for all New Yorkers, look inward. If you are a New Yorker, look inward right now. Because in, in New York, you are justified to beat somebody up and cause some strife if they look at you too long. So that's why we need to look inward right now because it's gonna be really easy for us to look outward. It's like, yo, they looked at me in my eyes for three seconds. They deserved to be slapped, Justin, I'm, I promise you. I remember when I lived in Ohio, true story, the hardest thing, the biggest culture shock for me and the hardest thing for me to get over that I, I never even got over after a year of being there was that people looked at me and they continued to look at me and would walk up to me and I would always, yo, know, that's crazy, you don't realize until you're in an environment like this, like the anxiety of, am I about to fight somebody? <laughs> would always be running through me and they'd be coming up and you know, you just like you got your hand in your pocket, maybe you got a key that's getting ready in there. <laughs> Nobody is ghetto as I am, all right? And then they would just, they'd get closer and they would smile. How you doing today? They'd be like, how you, hi? <laughs> just kind of, literally, this happened to me dozens of times where like people would smile, stare at me. I'd be getting ready to fight. They would say hi. And then I would like awkwardly wave and just like, yo, I just like hit you like 15 different ways in my head, but I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. And so I know this may be hard for us to like not blame other people when it comes to strife. But we have to look inward for a moment and ask ourselves, what does my temper look like? When I'm home, do I, bring, do I bring peace with me or do I bring strife with me? Is there an air of when, when I'm coming home, when daddy's home, is it, does it bring anxiousness into the house or does it bring peace into the house? When I, when I walk into my group of friends, what it do, or when I'm left alone with people, are they, are they worried or is there peace? 
And for all of you passive-aggressive people, don't think that this does not apply to you. Your weird notes that you leave on refrigerators, your bad attitudes, your unhelpful facial expressions, they are just as bad. So do not think that this does not apply to you. Passive-aggressive people would be like, yo, I didn't scream at you, but my man, you screamed to your note like 20 times. I got the point, okay? <laughs> Usually what we'll ask ourselves is who threw the first punch? But what we should also be asking is, how did we get there? People don't just walk up to people normally and just punch them in the face. You know, people don't just start screaming at somebody uncontrollably for no reason. So we have to ask ourselves, how did we get to that place? Because what we'll find is the scoffer. See, the scoffer doesn't have to be the loudest one. The scoffer many times is the instigator. You know the words to say, the buttons to push, and the things to do to get other people mad, and you still do them. That is the scoffer. But you know what? The, what the truth is, is at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what other people do to you, we have no right to fight, to scream, to attack, and to hurt. See, this is where we have to look inward because it's really easy to look at somebody else and say, well, don't you know that they looked at me the wrong way? Don't you know that they pushed my buttons? They knew what they were saying when they said this to me. Did... All the time. But Proverbs 29, 8 says this, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. See, the scoffer will do is, somebody will say something, they'll look at you wrong, and it's like, a word? Where's that gasoline right now? Because that little match is about to be a really big fire. You know, it takes something that has happened and create a flame, a fire out of it. They will set a city aflame, Proverbs says. See, the, the scoffer constantly talks back, always has a snarky remark to say, and prides themselves in how low they can bring people with their words. See, what happens is there's a juxtaposition here between the wise person and the scoffer so that we can see, all right, what does the wise person do? What is godly living? What does fruitful living look like? And what is the foolish way to live, the intelligent fool? What does that person look like? Because the foolish, the scoffer, when somebody wants to fight me, it's on. Get the Vaseline out, take off the earrings, put the rings away, let's do this. But the wise person, right, when that person goes next to you just so that they can roll down their window, curse at you, give you the finger, and then cut you off, the wise person will say, let them be in their wrath. I will turn my other head. Right, the, the wise person, when somebody pulls up next to you to curse you out, will literally turn away. Do not give them comfort and do not allow myself to let this wrath be set aflame. But the scoffer, what will happen? The scoffer will feel all the justification in the world. Oh, you want to start something. You want to say those words to me. I just, what'd you say about my mama? <laughs> huh? You didn't know I could get that high. <laughs> so how does when you talk about my mom, though? <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, the scoffer will always find justification for their actions and they will never take responsibility of, oh, that was my fire. Well, don't you know they deserve it? Don't you know that, that they had it coming to them? Oh, that was my, that's my favorite line. They had it coming. But the wise person turns the other cheek. The wise person allows the hurtful words, the anger to roll off. This will not dictate how I react. See, the truth is, is when we know the things that God says about us and who we are with him and the ways that we have hurt him and how he has forgiven us for those things. When people start to say stuff from us, it's like, first of all, I know what God says about me, so I know that's untrue. You may be calling me a moron with a few four-letter words before that this morning, but thank you very much. I am not. I am a son of God with a great inheritance. But also, I know that I've, I've, I've gotten mad and I've turned my back on God many times, and what has he done? He has not reacted to my reaction. He has loved me and been faithful to me through the storms. See, I remember when... I was first blessed to go plant a church. Um, and someone who was a leader and a close friend of mine told somebody else, they said, just wait until he fails, he'll be back. And I remember when my friend told me that, this other friend, I felt justified to walk up to that person and just blow up their spot. You know, you said something in secret about me. I'm a very confrontational person, if you haven't realized yet. <laughs> You know, in my house, there was no, like, everybody knew when somebody had a problem about somebody else. We all, we were all aware, and not just the two people, the whole house was aware of what was going on. And so my first reaction was, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that person, I'm going to blow up their spot. Not only I'm going to blow up their spot, but I'm going to let everybody else know what they said, because what a jerk. <laughs> Who says something like that? You just, you just were praying for me the other, the other day to go out, and now you're saying this about me? In fact, the person who told me this was telling me intentionally because they wanted me to go blow up that person's spot. You know, you have that instigator friend? It's like, yo, do you know what this person said about you? And then you go and you go and you start attacking and you're screaming them and then they're on the other person like, yo, I can't believe they just said that. And so this person fully intended for me to go set the city on fire. Like, come on, Justin, what are you gonna do? And I remember feeling hurt. I remember being very angry, uh, but... One good practice that I've had to learn over the years, uh, because I've gotten in a lot of trouble, uh, is when I'm going to confront somebody in anger, that I should probably go and pray first. Uh, you know, and Christians sometimes, we, we just know how to make everything religious, and it'd be like, well, I'm going to go to that person and that person alone right now, and I'm going to go to them full of anger and I'm gonna give them a little piece of my mind. No, that is not what that verse is talking about, okay? And so I, I remember I went and prayed, and I just, I just I get annoyed when God tells you to do like what the Bible says. <laughs> it's 
Sometimes I just get really frustrated when God just makes me do what the Bible says. And God just said, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna forgive that person and you're gonna leave it alone. Okay, okay, I see what you did there. To this day, this person doesn't know that they said that to me, but let me tell you, if there was ever a time, you feel justified, I was prayed over, sent off, and then the next day was being spoken failure over, over a work that God wanted to do. Nobody would have been mad at me if I went up to that person, blew up their spot, and then made them look a fool in front of other people. But just because in human minds we can justify an action doesn't mean that we should do it. That's what we have to understand about God is that his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And just because we have been trained by society that this is right and wrong doesn't mean that that is God's right and wrong. And so what we are trained to do is, well, if somebody gets a little flame going, then I'm gonna make it a big one. Because, well, they started it. They threw the first punch, or they said the first insult. And so now I'm justified to do what I want. But that is not the way of the wise or the way of Jesus. What we need to understand is you don't need to respond to every negative comment or bad word said about you. When you understand what God says about you, your response to those words can be simple words like, well, if I fail, I fail in the grace of God and he will lead me back to wherever I'm supposed to go. See, when we understand that God is sovereign and he has everything in his hands, and we follow all that he calls us to do. Well, if somebody expects us to do something, whether we do it or not has no bearing on their words. But I am just following what God has called me to do. Don't let other people's gossip issues, anger issues, spiteful issues, sarcastic issues turn into your sin issues. See, because when we go before the throne room of God... God's not gonna ask what Harry and Susan were doing. God is gonna ask us what we did in response. And if we say, well, God, no, this was fine. No, then he's gonna say, well, actually, so that's what I love about God is, we'll read this in a second, but it says, God, where is this? Scorns the scornful. So that's where that point where he'll become the actually. No, this is what the godly, this is the wise, this is the fruitful way of living. Sin is never justified. That's something that we have to come to a place of understanding and recognition in our life that sin is never justified. No matter how much our friends will tell us it is, no matter how much society will say it is, no matter how much we may feel it is, well, in this situation, it is appropriate for me to sin. This is a lie. We have to come to a point where we realize 
God, there is never an appropriate time to sin, and so I will not allow the actions of others to cause my reaction in sin. The next mark of a scoffer is something that we actually dealt with in The Fool, but now it has a twist. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7 and 8, it says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Correction comes up over and over and over and over again in Proverbs. And what we read last week was correcting a fool is a waste of time. But the leveled up fool, the scoffer, brings a new twist to it. Correcting a scoffer not only is a waste of time, but actually has repercussions. That person will hate you. You dare correct me? Who do you think you are? Don't you know who I am? Pride, strife, inflaming a situation, all of these things begin to come into play when we're dealing with correction in a scoffer. Where you have no say, you have no input into my life. How dare you? Who do you think you are to be able to say this to me? I know the dumb decisions you made. Right? These are the things that go through our head as a scoffer when we get corrected. But the wise person, when they get corrected, their reaction isn't like, uh, now think about this. The wise person is getting corrected. We would think, the wise person would be like, yo, don't you know that I'm like wise already? I really don't need your correction. I've already hit status title of wise. You know, if we could, it'd be like, we'll put the doctorate in front of our name, put wise Justin Matera. Don't you know that I'm here? I've attained it. I don't need your correction anymore. No, you would think that the wise person is justified to say something like that because they've obtained the sage status. But what does the wise person do? It says the wise person loves correction. Why? Because that is how a person becomes wise, is through correction. What, is, what does correction do? It teaches you another person's perspective. Correction allows you to grow and mature as a person. It imparts someone else's learning experiences into you so that you don't have to go through the failures that they've been through. And if we can't handle correction, it's because we can't handle being wrong. That's where it comes into play. Oh, I'm perfect. Didn't you know that? There's no imperfection in me. Don't you know that I have everything put together already, that I've already have this down pat? I don't need your wisdom, your understanding. That's why when I'm looking for a leader, I'm always asking myself, how do they respond to correction? Because the depth of their acceptance of correction many times will show the depth of their relationship with God. Because our relationship with God is full of correction. I mean, the Holy Spirit is always correcting and bringing me to a place of repentance. And if we learn to accept the correction of God, we learn the wisdom in that, then we begin to love correction from others. In Proverbs 24, 9, it says, the devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. 
See, what we're doing when we're talking about these things is we're not just talking about a few bad decisions. What we're talking about is sin. And that's the important distinction here. Pride, being quick to anger, rejecting the wisdom of others. We are not just talking about, hey, these are good life skills that you can begin to practice. We are talking about the difference between sin and righteousness. Proverbs 19.29 says, condemnation is ready for scoffers. We have to understand that the stakes are real. We cannot put this off. God is serious about how we treat people and how we react in certain situations. He is not playing around. These are not good life advice. You know, take it or leave it. You, have, you know, someone says, take it or leave it. This is not a take it or leave it situation. This is the difference between sin and righteousness. As we said before, Proverbs 3.34 says, Towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. James 4.6 quotes this proverb, but he puts it this way. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The scoffer will be driven out. We can bank on that. That is a promise. So then our prayer has to be, Lord, teach us how to live righteous lives. Lord, teach me that my decisions and how people, I treat people, teach me in my decisions and how I treat my family, how I treat my spouse, how I treat my boss and my coworkers and my schoolmates. God, teach me that this is teaching me righteousness. That so many times we treat only our relationship with God as what righteousness looks like. That, man, when I sin against God, that's the only thing I, that matters. And we forget about our sin towards others. And that is what a scoffer does, is constantly sinning towards others. But Proverbs says, no, this is the way of righteousness. This is the way of life. This is the way of wisdom, capital W, the, the way of Jesus that when we follow Jesus, we are following the path of humility. We are following the path of loving kindness towards others. We are following the path of turning the other cheek. We are following the path of turning away righteousness. We are following the path of correction. This is the way of the righteous. This is the way the righteous live. And like I started with today, we have to end with today, that if we think, if we, if we follow culture and we think, man, how can I, you know, what is my 21-day plan to become more righteous? You know, what is my 21-day habit-forming understanding of, okay, what am I going to do? That, that is not where we need to start. What we need to start with is encounters with God, encounters with his spirit. Because the only thing that is going to make us new, the only thing that is going to transform our heart, that is going to begin to get rid of the dirt and can start the reconstruction in our life is an encounter with his spirit. And it's really easy to read through Proverbs and moralize the entire thing and think of it as good life advice, but that is not what it is giving. It is saying, encounter the living God. Encounter capital W, wisdom. And when you do that, this is the life that you live. You live a life of righteousness. 
You live a life of loving others, of caring for others, of turning away from wrath, a life of humility. You live a life of the characteristics of God. You reflect his glory and who he is. And so our call today is a call to righteousness. God, teach us that righteousness has more to do than just with our prayer with you in secret and more to do with how we treat others in public. That God is just as concerned with our internal dialogues with others, how we treat people as he is with our prayer life and with our scripture reading. If our relationship with God is not informing our treatment of others, then we are walking away from righteousness and scripture is clear. Can you stand and pray with me?